Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, turn with me to Galatians 5. We're going to be looking at at verse 13 today, and this command, this admonition to serve one another. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into Galatians 5, verse 13. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to uh, be together with your people, doing what your people have always done, which is worship you, confess, and, and confess our belief in you, praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. You are truly worthy. And also, we're doing what your people have always done also, is, is trying to hear from you through your word. And well, we know that your spirit makes your word living and active. And so we just invite your spirit to come and fill this room today and, and do that work that really only he can do of, of give, giving us eyes to see the the truth and the beauty of the gospel, of softening our hearts, of transforming our hearts so that we can faithfully follow you, convicting us maybe of areas where we need conviction, but also encouraging us. Lord, we pray that you would just fill this room and and do that work for us today. Also pray, Lord, to that end that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, watching people serve one another, I think that's maybe my favorite thing about Redeemer Church. There's been multiple times where a meal train goes out and I get the email and I click on the meal train in order to kind of reserve a spot, you know, and bring a meal to somebody only to find that all the dates have been filled. That's a comment that's literally happened uh, multiple times for me. And that always just kind of just brings joy to my heart to see how quickly people in this church uh, are willing to, to serve each other. It always blows me away when I see those things have been grabbed so quickly. And the further we've gone as a church, and those meal trains have kind of been a, a neat little thing for me to watch, it's, it's kind of validated that I have real community here, real friendship here, because I kind of know different people do different dishes. Like there's the taco people. Some people make casseroles. Uh, There's a family that does the chicken brian. Like that's their specialty, which is exciting to me. But but all of those are these great examples of community. And and further, as time has gone by, it's been interesting how on that little meal train that somebody's new or maybe they're a new mother and uh, they're reached out to on the meal train for the first time. and, And they politely think, okay, this is a nice gesture. But then afterwards, I've had multiple young mothers come up to me and say, man, this was really awesome. Like, this is really what we needed. And they're just totally thankful uh, for how you guys have served them. I think Redeemer Church has a beautiful history of serving one another. I think you guys are great at tangibly loving one another. Even though I think we're great at this, and I think we have a a really good track record of serving one another, I, I think this command to serve one another is really important for us today because it becomes a pathway to developing Christ-centered friendships. Really, the, the, um, I guess the, the posture or the direction of this series of messages is how do we develop Christ-centered friendships? Now, if you were not with us last week, we noted that 59 times in the New Testament, there's this phrase of one another. And there's all these different commands attached to that. And so we've tried to kind of break these into four categories. Last week, we looked at love one another. This week, we're looking at serve one another. Next week, we're going to look at encourage one another. And then the fourth week is kind of a catch-all that I'm calling accept one another. And there's a number of one another's that are part of that category. 
But the purpose of these messages is really to cast vision for what is Christ-centered friendship and then how do we develop those type of friendships. And what I want us to see is that the one another's, again, kind of serve as a, as a pathway to developing Christ-centered friendships. If you want true friendships, life-giving friendships, friendships where you're just connected at the soul with people, then the one another's are the pathway to it. So today what I want us to do is I want us to unpack this serve one another command from Galatians 5.13. And then the next thing I want us to do is really wrestle with, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, like, what does it mean to serve one another? And then kind of the third turn I want us to take is applying that specifically to friendship. Like, how does serve one another then lead to friendship? So the first thing I want us to see is just this, this clear command, this admonition to serve one another. Follow along as I read Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Galatians 5.13 is kind of at a transition point or a hinge point in the book of Galatians. And, and the transition is, is that the writer is moving from theology the, the theory or, or the theoretical doctrine and dogma of the gospel. And he's moving it now to the practical application. How, how do we apply this now? And specifically what he's been doing is he's been talking about grace and how grace leads to freedom. And that's the theology that he's been unpacking, that God's grace leads to freedom. And now he's kind of moving from the theology of grace leading to freedom to this practical application of, of, okay, what is our obligation now based upon the grace that we have grounded in grace? What are we supposed to do with that? So uh, because of grace, we're free. But more specifically now, he's saying, okay, free from what and free to what? So we're free from sin and selfishness and we're free to serve one another according to Galatians 5.13. Now, now this verse makes the clear point that, that grace, even though it's meant to lead to freedom, that does not mean that grace, it, it leads to you fulfilling all your fleshly desires. Now, we have to camp out on that point because the world says and our flesh tells us that freedom is really pursuing your fleshly desires. And we've all toyed with that in, in a functional way at some point in our lives. And it kind of goes like this. Like, God gives us grace. He's going to forgive us all of our sins. I want to do this sin. I'm going to go ahead and do that sin because it's going to make me happy because on the other side of it, I know God's going to forgive me. Don't raise your hand if you've ever had that thought. I know you've had that thought. We've all been there on that thought. Now, I, I want to be clear about this point. That's not the intention of grace. Grace is not intending uh, to lead you to a place of freedom if your definition of freedom is to pursue all your fleshly desires. That's not the freedom that we're talking about. And in fact, I think we can put that freedom in a category of immaturity. Like that's immature, shallow faith. And it's a, it's a really uh, massive misunderstanding of what freedom is and what grace is, Right? Like, it, it, grace leads to a different type of freedom. And I would call it true freedom, real freedom. That type of freedom, that, 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 the love that God gives us, it doesn't lead us to a place of pursuing our selfish desires. It, it leads us to a better place. It leads us to not seeking after our own selfish desires, but it leads us to a different type of freedom where we actually put other people first. 
Like there's real freedom that comes from living that way. It's free from the bondage of fleshly desires. It's free from the bondage of like hoarding your own time or hoarding your own money or hoarding all your energy. That, 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 there's actually a slavery there. It leads us to a freedom where we can give all those things away. Like, like think about your time and your money and your energy. When you hoard all those things, when you're like the guy that just protects all your money, protects all your time, protects all your energy, that does something to your soul, doesn't it? And I would argue it poisons your soul. Like that doesn't take you to places of, of happiness and joy. That doesn't take you to, to deep life-giving friendships. But think about those times where you just freely give away your time. You're generous with your money. You're generous with your energy. You're generous with your talents. Like that leads you to places where, where your soul is filled. That leads you to things that, that are better than time and money, energy. That leads to places of like real life-giving friendships, doesn't it? See, that's what real freedom is all about. Now, we're in the context of talking about friendship here and, and how uh, this grace that's grounded in love and it leads to freedom, how that leads to friendship. But, but look at this phrase again. He, he says in Galatians 5.13 that it, we're not talking about uh, the type of freedom that is the opportunities of the flesh. I, I, I just want to chase something briefly to show how this principle plays out. Typically, when we talk about opportunities of the flesh, we're now in the realm of sexuality, right? Now, now listen, we're in an overly sexualized age, okay? That, that's obvious to all of us. But, but this principle that is being talked about in Galatians 5 it holds up on that category. You see, this principle about real freedom and real slavery, it holds true regarding sexuality. You see, if our world uh, thinks that sexual freedom is having a sexual relationship with anyone at any time, however we want it, we'll call that if, if it feels good, do it. If that's what freedom is, like, like that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a different type of freedom. Now, if you think that that's freedom and you live that way, like if you've really given yourself over to, to that type of uh, understanding or that type of belief of that's what freedom is, friend, you know that that actually leads you to bondage, doesn't it? Like people who really live that ethic, if it feels good, do it. Like if that's been you, you probably have scars to prove the bondage of that, right? Maybe it's family scars, maybe it's emotional scars, maybe it's even physical scars, but, but living that way doesn't lead to freedom. That, that leads to a whole different type of bondage. But, but there's another way to live where you say, okay, if it feels good, if my fleshly desire wants me to do this, but I say, no, I'm going to live according to God's word. That leads you to a whole world of freedom, doesn't it? That, that leads you uh, to relationships that are pure and holy. And, and there's just wonderful, great things that, that come from that. So self-restraint, all these different things Living according to God's grace where, it, where it, it doesn't lead to freedom, where you just kind of do whatever you want, that leads to real lasting freedom. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about something better than if it feels good, do it. If that's your definition of freedom, you're going to totally miss the point that he has here. Grace is contrasted here with a bondage to the flesh with real freedom and love. You see, that, that sort of sinful, licentious lifestyle, that's bondage according to Galatians 5. He's talking about something that is better than that. And notice here that the source of freely serving one another, the source or the fuel of that is love. God, God says in 5.13 that, but through love serve one another. What I want you to see here is there is a link between love and service. 
There's a link here. And in other words, when you, when you truly love, you end up serving. But if you don't love, then you won't serve. As a result, people who really love, they have a thematic history of serving one another. And this is kind of a good moment to kind of reflect, hey, wait a second, do I have this thematic history of serving one another? And as you're sitting here reflecting, if you, if you don't see examples of that in your life, then this verse is probably kind of like a check engine light for you. It's saying, hey, you need to check your heart. There's something going on in your heart that's amiss. If you don't have these examples and experiences that you can think of, this thematic history of loving people to the degree that you're serving one another, it's an indication that something is wrong at the heart level. You see, at those moments, the, the good news, I think, in those moments is God is there to help you in those moments. He's in the business of changing your heart. But again, if there's no serving one another in your life, that means there's no loving one another in your life. And you need to cry out to God to help you. He's, he's there to help you, to, to help you have that love as a source for you to serve. But what is service? I think the best definition I could find on service is it means to love tangibly. See, when we serve someone, we tangibly uh, do something for them. It's measurable. It's physical. Service, if you will, moves from our inner thoughts to our inner emotions to our outer behaviors, right? It, it, it's love made manifest. It, it moves from uh, our head and our hearts and it moves to our hands. But what uh, Galatians 5.13 teaches is that when we have genuine love in our hearts, then it's free to move out to our hands. So when we genuinely love, we're free to be servants, we're free just to give things away. We're free to serve people and love people no matter the consequences. We're free to give away our time, to give away our money, to, to give away our energy. We don't have to hold on to those things as if those things are the things that really give us life. We're able to, to freely give those things away because we understand that, the, that when we give those away, we gain something better, right? Like when we give away those things, those false idols, those things that we hoard and cling to, when we give those things away freely, there's a freedom that comes and then we gain something better than those things. We gain something better than money, than time, than me time, than energy. And in this case, we gain friendships. We gain something that is lasting in the face of those things. So kind of in summary on this verse, the command to serve one another, it's rooted in love. If we love on the inside, then it's going to spill out to service on the outside. If we love, then we'll serve. If we're not serving, then it means we're not loving. And so if we're hoarding these certain things, that's because we have an unloving heart. And when we're able to freely give them away, it's a, a demonstration that our heart's in the right place. And this is a call to genuinely love by, by freely serving one another. This is the call of, of Galatians 5.13, to not cling to these things that, that uh, make a false promise of happiness, but to freely give those things away because we're going to gain something better. That's what it means to serve one another. However, how do we do it? How do we serve one another? Well, the second thing I want you to see today is that we are to serve with our heart and with our hands. If we're going to truly serve one another, it's got to start in our hearts, but it also has to get its filter its way out to our hands again galatians 5 13 says that through love serve one another there has to be this this heart of love behind it so as christians who've been given so much grace from god 
and now have this freedom to love people because whatever we might lose by loving sacrificially is not as good as what we gain. We don't have the freedom to serve out of unloving hearts. We don't have that freedom. We're called to love out of loving, we're called to serve out of loving hearts. And see, if we, if we serve out of unloving hearts, then that leads to self-righteous service. It leads to self-absorbed service, service that's not genuine. And I would argue that it leads to short-lived service. Like, like you're not going to serve somebody for the long haul if you don't genuinely love them. Rather, we're called to serve out of love. And when we don't have love, we can cry out to God for help and He can change our heart. But there's also another condition of the heart that I think is important to understand to faithfully serve one another. The other condition of the heart is humility. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then Philippians 2.3 commands us to, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So humility or a humble heart, that's also key to serving one another. Humility is all about lowliness, right? Like it's, it's about considering ourselves less than and not more than someone else. The opposite of humility is pride. So we have a, a prideful heart. We think we're better than someone else. We're never going to serve them in the most faithful of ways. If we think we're entitled or, or we're too good for something, then we're never going to serve people in this way. But, but if, if we understand that uh, we're at a humble state, that, that we're not better than others, then we have then the freedom to, to, to be grateful for the good things that come our way. We, we have freedom to, to love people from a humble posture, Further, we lovingly serve because we don't believe that we're higher than someone else or better than someone else. You see, we can't faithfully serve unless we view ourselves in a lower, humble state. Friends, if you're all about getting yours and, and feeding your self-esteem and self-absorption or, or, or feeding your insecurities or your successes, then you're never going to have the type of humble heart that you need to serve one another. The call here is to put on humility so that we can serve one another. Okay, but what about our hands? We're to have a condition of our heart that is loving and humble. But, but how do we serve one another with our hands? Let me give you five passages that I, that I think cast a vision for how we're supposed to serve one another. The first one is, is John 13, 14. If you were with us last week, we referenced this passage. This is the Last Supper. John 13, 14 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to, ought to wash one another's feet. Again, that scene of the Last Supper where Jesus goes around and washes all the disciples' feet is what's referenced here. This means that uh, service is about tangibly helping someone, even if it's a demeaning task. Like, think about that scene. The creator of all things. Here he is washing the dirty feet of his disciples. So demeaning, isn't it? Now, now listen, they needed help in that moment. They needed it to be done. It helped them. It was very demeaning of him to do it, right? Like that's what serving one another looks like, of doing those tangible good things that need to be done even if it's demeaning to you. Number two is 1 Corinthians 11.33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. This scene is is a, an early communion or Lord's Supper. There's always the guy late to the group, right? They're ready to do the Lord's Supper. They're waiting on this guy. So they just, they just push back and, and just dive into the Lord's Supper without him. And it's causing all this division and heartache in it. And what he's saying here is that serving one another includes 
patiently serving one another. That, mean that, it, that means that it might not be according to your timeline. In other words, serving one another is going to be inconvenient to you. If you want to truly serve one another, it's going to be inconvenient for you at some level. Going back to that scene, it might be a moment where you're starting to get hangry, right? And you're just going to have to patiently wait. It's going to be inconvenient for you. But that's what it means to serve one another, is that we patiently do it according to their needs, not our needs. The third example of how to serve one another is Colossians 3.13. It says, bearing with one, one another. And if one has a complaint against, one, against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Serving one another includes bearing one another's burdens. It also in- includes uh, forgiving one another. So there's times where it's uh, demeaning to you. There's times where it's going to be inconvenient to you. But also, serving one another is going to cost you something. I, I don't know about you, but bearing one another's burdens can be difficult. It, it, it costs us something. It might cost us time. It might cost us money. It might cost us energy. I don't think forgiving one another is an easy call. I'm not a very forgiving person. Very bitter person, okay? Some of you who know me better are nodding your heads right now. It's a joke. Thank you, Ross. I see you out of the corner of my eye. But in all seriousness, forgiving costs something, doesn't it? Like, it's hard to forgive someone. And that's the call here. If we're going to serve one another, it's going to cost us something. Fourth, 1 Peter 4.9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Serving one, one another means you share what you have, but you do it without complaining. You, you share the things that have been given to you, but you do it without complaining. Maybe you, you need to share your home or your couch or your coffee or that ground beef in the freezer, but you do it with generosity. You do it openly. I have to brag on my wife here a bit. These, I've seen a couple of realities of great hospitality in, in her life. Hospitality, again, it's just sharing what you have. Um, at a previous church, we were... Uh, uh, started a young marrieds uh, ministry and we loved these young couples we had so much fun with them and and one night they were at our house and and I was visiting with uh, one of the moms and, and we got talking on this deep theological conversation and we were both fascinated by different points of views and I think we we're talking about Augustine theology I mean we, we were into something weird and in the middle of that uh, her, her preschool uh, or her, her very young daughter uh, used the restroom on our couch <laughs> and and she Quickly kind of, yeah, apologized, but then she kind of dove back in our discussion about Augustine. Kristen came along and just really graciously started trying to clean up uh, this child's mess on our couch. And, you know, she did the best she could. And after everybody left, kind of the best we could was just flip the cushion. That sometimes happens when you are serving one another, right? And you have to do it without grumbling and complaining. Uh, Another time we had a small group and Kristen had just bought this uh, white rug in our living room. You know where this is going. It was spaghetti night, you know, in the small group. And this poor guy just spilt all of his marinara all over the white rug. And again, we did the best we could. We tried to clean it. We tried to hide it under the couch. And finally, we just got rid of the rug. Listen, that's the type of things that happen when you serve one another. But, but we gain something so much better than a clean couch or a, a brand new rug, don't we? we? We gain something that's more lasting. But when you serve one another, you're to show hospitality, you're to share your things, but you're to do it without grumbling and complaining. Fifth and finally, 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Serving one another means that you use your physical and spiritual gifts to bless other people. That maybe you have physical gifts like a home. Well, use it to serve others. Maybe you have physical gifts like you're the guy who can fixes everything. Well, figure out how you can bless other people with that. Maybe you have spiritual gifts like the ability to teach or you serving others with that gift. Serving one another means that you bless others with your gifts. Okay, but what does this mean for friendship? It means that we're to find friends through serving. We've been unpacking this command of what it means to serve one another. However, I want us to try to understand how that command, living that way to serve one another, how that actually leads to friendships. And really, again, my prayer for this series is that as we live out the one another's, that it leads to these just life-giving friendships in your life, that it leads to these Christ-centered friendships. My hope is that you find friends through serving. And before we look at what that means, I want to be clear on what Christ-centered friendships are not, okay? I've struggled with this in my life, that at times I've been too idealistic with my friendships. I've been too idealistic, even maybe on my vision of the church. And let me tell you something, true friendships can't bear the weight of idealism. If you're stuck in idealism, friend, it's going to leave you disappointed and embittered about your relationships. We should expect Christ-centered friendships to not constantly bear all of our self-absorption or all of our emotional burdens. None of our friends at church are Jesus. That means that they can wear out. That that means they can become irritable with you. They're not going to be perfect friends for you. If that's your expectation of our church, you're going to be disappointed here, okay? The idealism that we have on friendships, true friendships can't bear that idealism. The second aspect of what Christ-centered friendships are not is they're not ultimately built on our affinities, we all have weird things that we get into that we think are cool, right? I, I, I'm into like true crime novels and like when I'm like walking my dog, I'm listening to books about some sort of murder in the 1970s, okay? And every time I say that, people kind of weird out. I have one friend in our church, Leslie, you're my true friend. You're into it with me. Everybody else is weirded out with it, okay? But if your friendships are just based upon your own weird little things that you're into, Friend, you're not going to find Christ-centered friendships. One of the weirdest things anybody in this church is into, one of your esteemed elders, I, I didn't even know this existed, okay? Mike Cromus is super into Christian death metal. Didn't even know that was a thing. I've watched him do devotional times as he's banging his head to death metal. The dude sends Andy and I weekly now emails with links to like Christian death metal bands. And it's weird, it's awesome. I respond with like, the cheesiest Christian music I can find and send that back. That's my response. But listen, if, if Mike has rolled into this church saying, I'm only going to have friends who are into the things that I'm into, that dude's never going to find a church that he's happy with, okay? Like, we all get into these weird things that we're super into. We have these common interests. And if that's what your friendships are based on, it, you're not ultimately going to get to these, these deeper Christ-centered friendships. Okay, but what can you expect? Listen, you can expect people to attempt to love you like Jesus loves you. They don't expect you to be perfect. They also accept your quirks and your differences of opinion and your your unique personalities. You you put up with all my random uncomfortable facts about 1970s serial killers. We all put up with, you know, Mike Cromus' things, and we actually think he's a little bit cooler once we know these things about him. 
Like you can expect that from Christian friends. They're going to accept you in all your weirdness. But, but really more important than that, Christ-centered friendships, they're going to be there for, when you, they're, they're for you when you need them. In other words, they genuinely want to serve you. They, they want to tangibly love you. I, I've seen uh, these type of friendships manifest themselves with guys working on widows' homes. If you seek friends with people at church, you're going to find people who will patiently love you in spite of your flaws. I've seen people stick around talking and listening and praying. You see, these type of friendships, they're going to help you when it's inconvenient to them. I've watched numerous times students in this church show up at inconvenient times in order to stack chairs or set out chairs. They're going to help you bear burdens. These type of friendships are going to be there at the funeral. They are going to share blessings with you. I've watched you guys provide Christmases for needy families. They're going to serve you with their gifts. I've watched some people quietly show up and do helpful things like clean windows or build fences or host small groups. Friends, those type of friendships built on serving one another, it's going to take you to something more beautiful than affinity groups. It's going to take you to life-giving friendships built upon Christ built upon this command to serve one another. Isn't that so much more beautiful and so much more better than anything the world has to offer? Friend, when you step into serving one another, you're going to gain lifelong friends. Friends, that man who was up on that roof that day, he now has a series of life-giving, Christ-centered friendships in his life. That lady that didn't rush off after Bible study and stuck around bearing someone's uh, burdens, praying for a hurting friend, she gained a friend, a true friend that day. That couple who opens their home every other week, they're gaining friends that breathe life into them. That, that kid who shares her toys on community group night, she, she's learning how to have real friends, real lasting friends. That older man who sits in the coffee shop to just encourage that younger man who just lost his job. He's developing a real friend in that moment. Guys, the secret of finding friendships is serving one another. Find friends through serving. It means join a community group. It means show up to a hands and feet project. It means participating in, in some sort of ministry in the church. When you hear a need, step in and serve. Serving one another is the most I think, sure way to develop Christ-centered friendships. I was visiting with a friend one day, and he was real excited to, to tell me about a, a new church that he had joined. He was really excited about this church. Church, if you will, is my business. So I was curious, okay, well, what, you know, what, what has really drawn you to this place? And he went on to tell a story about a, a friend of his, someone that he loved dearly, and just a, a really difficult season that this friend had gone through. And, and just from the outside, he watched this church rally around his friend, love this friend in, in, in tangible ways, providing for this friend. And, and as he watched that church do that, he said, that's the kind of church I want to be part of. Friends, I pray that Redeemer Church is that type of a church. I, I wanted to camp out on Galatians 5.13 because I think the biggest impediment to serving one another is, is a selfish heart. A selfish heart that functionally believes that, that if we, if we uh, love people tangibly, it, it's going to like take from us some way. Or it functionally believes that grace really leads to kind of pursuing our fleshly desires. But God intends for grace to do something better. He intends for grace to kind of fuel your life in a way to where you just give things away freely. To where you serve one another freely. Listen, when you're in those moments where you don't believe that, when, you, when you're trying to hoard everything when you don't want to serve one another, 
I think the most helpful verse in the Bible in those moments of turning from selfishness and turning to service is Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, he believed in service over selfishness. He, he believed that if he would give his life away, it would bring him more joy. He knew a, a better way. We're called to believe that Jesus' way is better. The way he served was through sacrifice. He gets up on that cross and gives of himself. He dies for us. The reason for the sacrifice, according to that Matthew passage, is for us to, to, to ransom us, to buy us back. He sheds his blood in order to buy us. That's his great act of service to us. That's what he thinks is more important than anything else. He's bought us back. He's given of himself. He's sacrificed for us. He did it in order to free us from the bondage of sin and selfishness. He did it in order to free us to a life where we're serving one another. Isn't that a glorious model? However, when we don't believe those, trees, those truths, we return back to selfishness. But the really maybe even greater news is, is we're, when we're in those dark moments, those really deep, dark moments where we're trying to hold on to everything, where we don't want to give of ourselves, we don't want to freely serve others, Jesus meets us there. He, he meets us there again and he washes us. Go, go back to that last supper. He washes us even in those deep, deep, dark moments. Not only does he shed his blood for our selfishness and our sin, but he keeps washing us because of our selfishness and our sin. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. Friends, Jesus is committed to continue to serve his disciples, to continue to wash us. That means that when you get to that selfish place of not wanting to serve one another, of not wanting to demean yourself, of not wanting to be patient again, of not wanting to be inconvenienced, of not wanting to share, of not wanting to bless, know that he's there to serve you again. He's there to wash you again. He's there to, uh, he's already bought you back with his blood, but now he's washing your soul clean of all those, uns of all those selfishness. Turn from selfishness and turn to your Savior in those moments. Ask him to forgive you again. Ask him to wash you again. Ask him to give you a new heart again. He's the great changer of hearts. He has served you in the past where he's, uh, where he's taken on your sin on that cross. He's served you in that way and he's committed to serve you again, to love you enough to help you then live a free life of serving one another. Brothers and sisters, love tangibly just as Jesus has loved us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this, in many ways, profoundly simple command, but in other ways, this profoundly difficult and hard command to serve one another. Lord, in ways that this is challenging to us, and the reason why it's challenging is because our hearts are, are lacking in so many ways. Lord, I pray that in those moments that, uh, that we would uh, feel your gospel again, that we would be renewed again, bought back uh, by your blood, just to go back to those gospel moments where you've served us in those profound ways. Wash us again. Convict us of our sin. Give us a vision for what it means to serve one another. Lord, may this church, filled with individuals, may we collectively be marked by serving one another, tangibly loving each other. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.